0: Last Sunday during Sunday School, we, um, the Intergenerational Sunday School offering soul food that we've been offering in the gym over the summer was about storytelling. And I was the person who led this particular workshop. And so before just jumping into the exercise that I had prepared for all the participants, I started out by introducing the workshop uh, by talking about, so why are we doing this anyway? Why do we care about stories and storytelling? And one of the primary reasons that we as a people of faith care about stories is because our faith has come to us over a very long period of time through a long series of storytellers. In the very beginning, our stories were passed along verbally and told from memory, and then at some point in time, people began to write those stories down, and then even later on, there were other people who came along and began to collect all those stories. They began to edit them and shape them for a particular con- uh, context and community. They began to order them in a very particular order, until eventually, over a long period of time, we ended up with the Bible. And even today, There are new interpretations and new translations of our Bible that come out periodically. And the way that storytellers have shaped the stories of the Bible, they shape us. They shape how we understand our faith, and then our faith, hopefully, shapes the way that we live our lives. As we read the stories of our faith, we interpret their meaning for our lives today. And so I thought today, during our scripture reading time, we would try and experiment. We generally always project the scripture on the screen, and we're going to do that again today. And the version that we're going to project is the one that we usually project, which is from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. That's the version that's in the Bibles in the pews. And when the people who put together that particular version of the Bible were doing that, One of the main guiding principles that they followed was that they wanted to, to the best of their ability, reflect the original language. So it is considered a true translation, where to the best of their ability, they're trying to translate from the original Greek and Hebrew into English, with the secondary sort of guiding principle being that we want this to be reasonably accessible, fairly easy to read, While you're following along on the screen, I'm going to be reading a version of Scripture from the Message Bible. This is not so much a translation as it is an interpretation. The person who put together the Message Bible did so with the primary guiding principle that he wanted to make the stories of Scripture extremely accessible in our current context. So he uses very modern language. He's not as concerned with this sort of word-for-word translation. He allows a little bit of um, his imagination to guide him. So I thought that as you follow along and as you hear the scripture read, it would be interesting to notice what words or phrases or images maybe pop out at you if one version strikes you uh, more deeply than another or if you have some sort of realization that maybe you haven't had in previous readings. So here now, reading from the book of Genesis. Joseph couldn't hold himself in any longer, keeping up a front before all his attendants. He cried out, leave, clear out, everyone leave. So there was no one with Joseph when he identified himself to his brothers. But his sobbing was so violent that the Egyptians couldn't help but hear him. The news was soon reported to Pharaoh's palace. Joseph spoke to his brothers. I am Joseph. Is my father really still alive? But his brothers couldn't say a word. They were speechless. They couldn't believe what they were hearing and seeing. Come closer to me, Joseph said to his brothers. They came closer. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't feel badly. Don't blame yourselves for selling me. God was behind it. God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. There has been a famine in the land now for two years. The famine will continue for five more years, neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me on ahead to pave the way and make sure there was a remnant in the land to save your lives in an amazing act of deliverance. So you see, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He set me in place as a father to Pharaoh. "'Put me in charge of his personal affairs "'and made me ruler of all Egypt. "'Hurry back to my father. "'Tell him, your son Joseph says, "'I'm master of all of Egypt. "'Come as fast as you can and join me here. "'I'll give you a place to live in Goshen "'where you'll be close to me. "'You and your children and your grandchildren, "'your flocks, your herds, "'and anything else you can think of. "'I'll take care of you there completely.' There are still five more years of famine ahead. I'll make sure all your needs are taken care of. You and everyone connected with you. You won't want for a thing. Look at me. You can see for yourselves, and my brother Benjamin can see for himself, that it's me, my own mouth, telling you all this. Tell my father all about the high position I hold in Egypt. Tell him everything you've seen here. But don't take all day. Hurry up and get my father down here. Then Joseph threw himself on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He then kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Only then were his brothers able to talk with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you notice any differences? Was there anything at all that was highlighted for you as you um, encountered both versions of that story? Any words or phrases that, that kind of struck you differently as you understood the story? Some did for me. Stories matter. They matter because they shape our understanding of the world around us. They shape our understanding of history. They shape who we understand ourselves to be, who we understand each other to be. And as Christians, most importantly, our stories of faith shape who we understand God to be. Even beyond our faith, we know that stories matter. I mean, we hear a lot these days in our media about the power of narrative and its effects on public opinion and politics and social movements The way we tell and interpret stories shapes who we are as a community. It shapes who we will become as a society. Last Sunday as I was driving to church, I was listening to the radio. I wanted to hear the latest news on all that had been unfolding in Charlottesville, Virginia last weekend. At that point, the news was still new and the details were trickling in, but one of the things I heard on my way to church was a statement that the mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia made. And he made a comment about the debate that's surrounding Confederate memorials in public spaces. This is what he said. We are grappling with how to remember a history of slavery and segregation. Another person... Pointed out that it's very important that as we shape how our understanding of this history, it's very important to consider what it is that we will commemorate versus what it is that we choose to forget. And then I've heard several times over the past week, in many different contexts, that it is very important to think about the context that we give these statues. What historical stories will we frame these memorials with? I find it impossible to deny the power of stories in our lives. Joseph could have told his story in a lot of different ways. I mean, he had lived a very eventful life. To put it mildly, his brothers, if you remember, were fiercely jealous of him because their dad, Jacob, favored him over all the rest. Y'all remember the coat of many colors, that gorgeous, um, gorgeous coat that was really good enough for a king to wear, that Jacob had had made, especially for Joseph. Add to that a couple of dreams that Joseph had, a couple of dreams that, as interpreted by his brothers and his father indicated that at some point in the future, they would all be bowing down to Joseph. That's a story that maybe he should have kept to himself, because it got him in a lot of trouble. His brothers felt so threatened by Joseph that they plotted to kill him. And it's only because there was one voice among the brothers who dissented, who wasn't willing to go to that extreme, that they eventually came to a compromise and just sold him off into slavery instead. The story that they told their dad, though, was that Joseph had been ravaged by wild animals and they delivered to him that famous coat, torn and tattered and soaked in goat's blood as proof of his untimely demise. The way they chose to tell that story broke Jacob's heart. So now, years later, they stand before Joseph and they are in great need there's a severe famine across the whole land, and the people of Israel are starving. Egypt controls the largest supply of food in the surrounding area, and so they've all traveled there in hopes of being able to purchase some of this food. Unbeknownst to the brothers, in the years, between, in the years since they sold him into slavery, he's become Pharaoh's right-hand man all because he was able to interpret some very troubling dreams that Pharaoh had. Dreams that, as it turns out, warned them and made it possible for them to prepare for the famine. Now the brothers stand before him, desperate for food. And if Israel is going to be fed, they're going to have to deal with Joseph. At this particular moment in history, It's very important how Joseph understands and tells his story. It's going to have a huge impact on the future of Israel. Augusto Boal wrote a book called Theater of the Oppressed. Now, in his book, he recounts his theory and practice of using theater as a tool to empower those who have been victims of oppression, So through improvisational theatrical exercises, participants are invited to take control of and retell the stories of their lives from their perspective. The act of telling their own stories empowers them by taking control away from those who generally have the power to spin stories in the larger cultural and political context. Maybe you've all heard that saying, it's the winners who write history. Well, many times, the most widely publicized versions of a people's story is that told from the perspective of those in power. People with power often get to tell the stories of those who don't have power. And even very well-intentioned people can't help but tell a story through the lens of their own experience. And in the case of those who might not have such great intentions, stories are often told with a particular agenda in mind, or to make a specific point, or to inspire a particular action. Augusto Boal's improvisational exercises have been adapted and used to help all kinds of people from lots of different um, backgrounds, people who've been victimized in a variety of ways, from people who have suffered childhood abuse, to victims of rape, to entire communities of disenfranchised people. Getting to tell their own stories is powerful, and how they choose to tell their stories matters. In Joseph's case, the way he interprets his life matters a lot. Not only does the act of telling his own story empower him and disempower those who have abused him, but the way that he chooses to tell his story, especially as a man who now is in a position of power, it shapes the outcome of that story. In his case, the way that he chooses to tell his story, it makes room for and allows for healing and forgiveness. You did not send me here. God sent me here. God sent me ahead of you so that I could save lives. That's how Joseph sees his story. Joseph sees his story through the lens of his faith. He sees his story through the eyes of God. When Pharaoh asks Joseph To interpret his dreams, Joseph Joseph makes it very clear to Pharaoh that interpretation comes from God. He says that explicitly. He interprets his whole life through the lens of grace. If you go back and read the entire Joseph saga over and over and over again, Joseph is very intentionally looking for how God is working in his life and how he can live into what God needs for him to do. He doesn't focus on all that his brothers and others have done to harm him. He focuses instead on all that God has done to bless him, even in the midst of the harm that others intended. I have a disclaimer. I want for you to hear very clearly that I am not saying that this story is an excuse for the bad behavior of those who would harm other people. This scripture does not excuse or condone what the brothers have done. Nor does it ask Joseph nor does it ask Joseph to risk himself again. Joseph agrees to welcome them and to care for them. He even offers them a huge plot of land where they can settle. In fact, he gives them the most fertile land in the area. But what Joseph doesn't do is invite them to come live in his own home with them. What the story does do is demonstrate the power of intentionally focusing on what God is up to and on what God calls us to rather than focusing on the intentions and the actions of our enemies. Because Joseph chooses to interpret his life through the eyes of God, because he chooses to interpret his story through the lens of grace, he is able not only to forgive his brothers, but to count his own life as blessing and to live his life as a blessing for others to save the lives of countless others, including and especially the lives of those who at one point in history plotted to kill him. The way we interpret our lives and our circumstances has the power to embitter us and it has the power to empower us. When we focus on God, when we look for grace, we will find it. As Christians, we interpret our lives in light of God, who is a God of grace. At his time of crucifixion, the cross was only understood as the cruelest and most humiliating means of torture and execution known to man. But the meaning of the cross was radically reinterpreted through the crucified body of Christ. In the last 2,000 years, What was the primary symbol of torture and humiliation and oppression and death was reinterpreted for millions of people as the primary symbol of hope and life and freedom. Stories matter. They matter a lot, especially given the many stories that are currently shaping our society. We have to be clear when we tell our story that God is at the center. And the God that we know is a God of love, a God who desires justice and peace. I was so happy to see the full-page ads that the United Methodist Church took out in at least a couple major newspapers this past week. They put this ad in there. I know at least in USA Today it was on the fold where you open it. Full page ad. To me, this ad makes a very clear and concise statement about the story of our faith and about how that story shapes how we are to respond to events that are unfolding in the history that we are making today. We are people with power. As a whole, we, the people of Westlake United Methodist Church, are people who, relatively speaking, have power. We have economic power, social power, power because of the color of our skin, the level of our education. And we are called by the example of Joseph today in this story to leverage our power By telling our stories and by listening to the stories of others through the powerful lens of God's grace for the purpose of ushering in justice and peace for all people, especially those who don't have power and whose stories aren't heard, at least from their perspective. Stories matter. I pray that we would all, if we don't already understand our stories in light of who God is, that we would rewrite our story and that we would begin to tell our story in ways that empower us and our community and our larger society to understand who we are and who we're called to be in light of who God is. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you for this body of the faithful who are gathered to worship you and to praise you. God, we ask that you would continue to write your story on our hearts, that we would be inspired to share your story with those we meet in ways that promote love and justice and peace. As we offer all that we are and all that we have to you today, we pray that you'd bless it and that it would be used for your greater good. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would the ushers please come forward?